I give you that international sensation. What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Hello and welcome to Queer Now, a talk film society podcast where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema, going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. I am your host, Dave Giannini, and I'm here with my co-host, Manish Mother. Manish, how excited are you? to talk about a movie starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant directed by George Cooker. I mean, this has to be great, right? You super excited? Yeah. I mean, aren't we uh, talking about um, the great, the Philadelphia story, right? That's, oh, God, that's I, if only, if only, <laughs> that would be wonderful. But no, we are in 1935 and we are going to be talking about Sylvia Scarlet. So I got to be, I got to be honest, this is a movie I'd never heard of. Before yeah, we made this uh, made this schedule, so was this your idea? Was this my idea? Who can I blame for this? Um, Do I have to like whip myself for this? Or if can you can't I remember, angry? then I'm going to say it's your idea. <laughs> All right, that's smart of you. I I I don't feel like this. I mean, it does kind of sound like me. Like, oh, it's supposed to be a gay movie, and it has Catherine Hepburn. Okay, that's going to be great. Uh, so yeah, I actually just got finished watching this before we started recording tonight. Because uh, I like somehow forgot about it. Like I was like, oh, I'm all caught up with the movies I got to watch for the podcast. And then I was like, oh, right, there's one more. And that was the one you're like, you have to watch that because I've already watched that. So we're going to do that. And I just totally <laughs> put it out of my brain. And maybe. My brain was trying to protect itself, uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So, um, so in terms of you know historical context and queer people who were involved, um, so who do we have here? That is, I mean, can we say? I mean, Cary Grant is kind of it's. This has got to be like the biggest open secret in the history of Hollywood that Cary Grant was gay, right? Like yeah. lived with a man into his late years, like clearly. Like, wasn't going to tell anybody. Uh, and I, as a queer person, I am happy to claim Cary Grant because he is both talented and beautiful. So I'm fine with that. Uh, and Catherine Hepburn is a gay icon for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cary Grant, I think he, uh, I would say he is bisexual. That's my guess. Because he, he did have, you know, multiple long marriages with women. Um now, I don't know if that means anything, but I don't know. I think you should claim him as bisexual. I mean, bisexual. it could be a marriage of convenience. Who knows? But yeah. as a bisexual man, I will be all happy to claim yeah, you, you can bisexuality have for Cary Grant. Way, that works out for me. Bisexual male community <laughs> deserves Cary Grant more than we do. That's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, um, so we have a lot of, you know, a lot of gay energy in this movie. There's also... Uh, in Sylvia uh, Scarlet. Yeah, the director, George Cukor. Um, also mm-hmm. kind of like, I would say more... It was an open secret in the sense that, like, he never publicly came out, but, like, he was sort of famous for having these, like, you know, bacchanal and gay parties with, like, Judy Garland right. and, like, young men. <laughs> That's, like, the gayest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's any question anymore when we get that. Yeah, yeah. All and right, then, yeah. so... So Sylvia Scarlet is essentially, you know, the story of this girl, Sylvia Scarlet. Uh, her father flees to England because he like makes some bad decisions, gambles, blah blah blah. Who cares? Yeah, I think he's like um, a and she, right? Like he's an actual <laughs> yeah. criminal. Yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. So she decides to help him out uh, by like dressing a drag, essentially, and becoming his son uh, as they as they travel. Right. So this all sounds really fun, right? Yeah. When you when you set it up, uh, I gotta be really honest with you, Manish. This is maybe my least favorite movie that we've covered on oh, this podcast. Wow. This was hard for me to get through. Like, um, it's very silly. It's very over the top. The accents are fucking terrible. Yeah. Oh my god! Both both Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant doing these god awful Cockney accents. Like, what what is happening? And his Cockney accent is like half Cockney, half like Jimmy Cagney. Like, there's a very <laughs> there's like man, like you know, it's just like I was watching this movie. Like, I love Cary Grant. But, like, this was rough for me to watch. Like, I was just like, I don't want anything good for any of these people. I, I cannot root for anyone in this movie. It was rough. So here's my issue with this movie, okay? You have a movie where Catherine Hepburn dresses as a boy, and it's a romantic comedy. Convincingly, too. Yeah, yeah, it's a romantic mm-hmm. comedy with Cary Grant. And you're thinking, okay, great. Like, these two are kind of an iconic pair. I mean, this is their first movie together. They made three others, you know, between now and the 1940. And you're thinking, great, like, why did I find gender-bending romantic comedy? But <laughs> Cary Grant is not the romantic lead of this movie. <laughs> and, why, why would you, why do you cast Cary Grant and not have him be the romantic lead? Look at him. Like, He's like the perfect romantic lead. His jaw is chiseled from stone. What do we, who is this other other guy like who cares like i just come on and like um i don't even think this movie makes good use of the gender bending and well it does but like it also it doesn't like it's it hard like i i i think it does actually but it doesn't like when you think about them being like Twelfth Night or like She's the Man or any of these kind of like romantic comedies where, you know, a woman dresses up as, as a man and falls in love with another man, like you would think that there's an element of like kind of like queerness in that relationship, you know, because the guy thinks he's just ha- is having a like bromance, but there's like something more there. This movie doesn't even touch on that, like barely does. I mean, when you have someone like Cary Grant who comes with his own kind of, like, queer baggage, right? Like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you play with that? I mean, granted, I, I know, like, he wasn't out, like, you know, maybe it was out of, like, respect for him that, like, they didn't want to even, like, put that out there. Who knows? But, like, I guess I just had such high hopes for this movie being, like, this, you know, unsung, like, gender queer classic, you know, like... Right. You know, non-binary rights, you know, but, like... No, it's like completely fumbles the ball and goes in so many weird directions. Like for at one point they're like actors. Like it's not even a good con man movie. They don't do any cons. No, (laughs) absolutely not. And I I don't buy the the idea that like oh you know Cary Grant wouldn't be up for this. Like that's the thing about Cary Grant and all of his performances. Yeah, that dude is like always he's game for everything. Yeah, like he's game to look foolish. He's game to be a villain. He's game to be a romantic lead. He's game to just have fun. Like so I don't buy that. Like that's like out of respect for him. Like I just think it's a bad movie. And I was reading up on it, and this is great. This like I love it when the history of the movie backs up what I'm what my opinion is. I'll never tell you if it doesn't, but if it does, I will <laughs> hammer it home. Uh, but apparently there was like a disastrous te- uh, test screening and both Cooker and Hepburn tried to like uh, 
pay off the producer to never release this. Oh, they were wow. like, we will do the next movie for free if you shelf this because this is horrible. So they knew they knew what they had on their hands and it is not changed over time. And I could I could see I could see someone who's a big Hepburn fan or Cary Grant fan just like give this a pass because there's enough personality in here to kind of carry it. But to me, it's almost like it's too much. Right. Like it's just it's every performance in this is over the top. Um, but there are interesting moments. Right. You have um, I could see people like pushing themselves away from this uh, in terms of how kind of radical it is, because you of course you have a woman in drag and with impeccable makeup like this is this is really well yeah. done. Like her her drag is pretty fantastic. Um, and you have both men and women attracted to her during this. Yeah. Um, so that is pretty shocking. That's a pretty shocking thing to do uh, for the 1930s. So I get that piece of it. But also as someone who has like a background in theater and has studied Shakespeare, anytime like women in drag is like seen as really revolutionary, I'm like, oh, bitch, please. Like we've been doing this for centuries. This has been we've been doing this. So like uh, that doesn't really impress me. Yeah. And like also there's like it's so hard to grasp this movie because there's like nothing to it. Like it's right. not, there's not, like you said, there's not an interesting grift in this movie and it's set up for it. Right. You have this like woman in disguise and trying to save her father from do from all the terrible stuff that he's done and, you know, fleeing to another country. Like there's so much set up here that could be really fun. And it just kind of like, it's like, it's like if someone is diving into a pool and you're ready for them to swan dive and they just fucking belly flop and fail. Like this whole movie is just always lands flat. And I just, as I'm watching it, I'm like, I'm like rooting for it because of all the personalities involved. And it's just like, come on guys, you can do this. Like, it's going to be great. Eventually there's going to be a turning point where you lean so heavily on Hepburn and Grant that I'm going to be in. And it just and shockingly, it just never happens. Right. Like, yeah, this is a movie that probably had the highest expectations because of who was in it, because I didn't read anything about it before. I didn't like go on Letterboxd and read what you thought about it. I was just like, OK, it's, you know, it's Hepburn and Grant. Let's go. I'm ready. And then I was like, oh, man, I need a drink or I need to get some food. Yeah. I need something to distract me because it's also the only word I can think of to describe this movie really is shrill. Like, yeah, it's like, it kind of, sure. it like gave me a headache, like not just, uh, Hepburn and Grant's, uh, accents, but like the other lead female character, I was like, uh, not to be this guy, but lady, you need to stop talking. Right. Like I, I, I need you to shut up. Like, I don't need you to sing. I don't need you to talk. <laughs> you should, you're, you're a very attractive woman. Maybe you can just sit there and look pretty. Uh, cause this is not working for me. And so much didn't work for me. And it's George Cooker too. Also another great director. How do we, how do we get here with this movie? What happened? So I don't mean to topple this entire movie's premise with one question, but like, <laughs> why did she have to dress up as a boy? Like, I really don't. I really There's don't no. get the reasoning there. Like, other she's... than like trying to like you know hide who they are and like work through society because women weren't allowed to do certain things in society, but they never take advantage of that plot. Right. They never do anything that she couldn't have done as a woman. Like she She's could crazy. have, yeah. Like she could have um, dressed as a boy while they're traveling, sure. But like, why keep that up? Like, there's really no reason for it. Um, and I think, like, so when I saw this movie, I think I probably gave it a more positive review than I'm giving it now, just because I think your 
<laughs> like your kind of disdain for it is really rubbing off on me and I really like I don't like this movie that much in general but I thought that there's like some parts of it that I really kind of thought were cool um like but cool in the sense that like I wish it was completely different <laughs> differently executed um mm-hmm. because I think sort of the final act when she's in love with this random guy, you know, I think his name's like Michael or something crazy like that. Something fucking boring. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And Michael Fane is his name. Yes. Yeah. I hate him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think when she's in love with him, but he sees her as a boy and they kind of have this, um, like bromance, but he's in love with some like femme chick and like, I think Sylvia slash Sylvester like doesn't show much like resentment or anger towards the other girl. I think what's interesting is I feel like she kind of accepts her place as this like non-sexual in between gendered like person, right? Like she's half Sylvia, half Sylvester, and there's that duality there. And she kind of doesn't exist on either gender, so she doesn't really have this like romantic you know, romantic sexual part to her. So she kind of aligns herself with this guy and helps him to woo this girl, this other girl. But mm-hmm. then, like, um, but then she, it through, like, I guess some, like, you know, through whatever, like, plot contrivances, they do end up together. She and this, what was his name? Michael? Um, Michael. But, yeah. like, she stays as... He's so forgettable. <laughs> but she kind of stays as Sylvester while she's with him. So I'm right. thinking, like, maybe there is this element to, you know, like, this sort of, like, gay bromance thing where, like, he, I think on some subconscious level, he might prefer her as the boy through this, like, oh, weird yeah, kind of sublimation. Yeah. He but then I'm thinking, like... When he finds out she's a woman, like... Eh. Yeah. And, like, Catherine Hepburn, like... <laughs> I think she looks beautiful in gowns, but, like, when she's just kind of wearing a frock, she looks weird. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, she kind of has to be either dressed, like, kind of in her, like, masculine kind of slacks look, like, a like her golfer look, or wearing, like, a, like, you know, glamorous gown. Because when she's right. just, like, when she's kind of just dressed as, like, a normal girl, like, she looks weird, because she's Catherine Hepburn. Like, she just can't yeah. ever look like that, you know? Like, that's why she's a gay icon, because she just, like, right. exists on this, like feminine but masculine stage um, yeah in the extremities too like and and there's a couple yeah. sequences where you can tell um cougar is trying to take advantage of that like just the soft focus on her face and like not focusing so much on the attire but just like let's look at her beautiful face because we got nothing else <laughs> like yeah <laughs> and but i also yeah i agree and I, I think there's an element to like you know how much physicality she has when she's you know playing sylvester um, and she does a lot of, like, you know, like, there's, I think, if I remember correctly, there's a part where she, like, kind of jumps out a window or, like, jumps over, like, fences or something like that. And I feel like that's something that, like, the real Catherine Hepburn would have loved to do and probably loved to doing, but, yes. you know, had, like, only she could only do it because she kind of broke gender norms. But then, you know, I think about all this stuff and I'm like, okay, this is, like, all very interesting gender stuff that I would love to have written a paper about when I was in college. But right. this movie, yes. like only this movie only exists in the abstract conceptual level and um like when you think about Cary Grant playing the 
Michael <laughs> character. <laughs> like, when you think about Cary Grant playing that role, right, instead of this, like, I don't know, non, like, I don't, he's, like, not even a character in the movie, basically, after the first, like, half right. hour. But, like, um, after their little, like, puppet show episode, <laughs> like, whatever that was. But, like, if you think about Cary Grant sort of playing the, um, playing the romantic lead and, uh, and it's, you know, you're, you know, your standard kind of Hepburn and Grant romantic comedy, this movie makes so much more sense if, if he plays yeah. that. And then all this kind of fun gender stuff makes a lot more sense with him than it would with that random actor that hasn't really done anything after this or whatever, like whoever that is. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's why, like, I love the concept of this movie. I love sort of the things that I think they were going for in terms of gender. And I think George Cukor is a very smart director. He's a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very... Um, like focused director in terms of you know queerness or like queering their narrative like i think a lot of his movies have this queer subtext i mean considering right. he's like sort of like the first sort of like cinema fag right of, right of of hollywood so i think like you know he paved the way for you know a luca guadagnino and a joel schumacher and all the and all those guys um mm-hmm. and so i think that like this movie's almost like bursting at the seams to be the movie that we want it to be. And I think by putting Cary Grant in that role, whether it's because he wasn't as big a star that, you know, as he would become, or maybe, I, I really don't even, I, I could not even tell you what, what was happening with the decision that this movie makes. Like, why even introduce this random character? Why not have, like, the Cary Grant character just, like, be the romantic lead? And why even bring in this random guy? Like, it doesn't make Agreed. any sense. Like, or why even introduce Cary Grant as this, like, supporting character only to, like, dismiss him, like, halfway through? Like, just, just boggles the mind. Like, it doesn't make yeah. any sense at all, you know? I mean, Cary Grant, like, he had been in, you know, those Mae West movies. He had been in movies. Like, he right. was, like, he wasn't the big star yet, you know? That, I don't think that would really come until, like, bringing a baby or even into the 1940s, but, like, he's still right. Cary Grant. Like, he's charismatic. Like, he's... Yeah. He was Cary Grant when he first started doing Hollywood movies in Hollywood. So, like, I don't even know, like... I, I really don't even know, and it does not even surprise me that they were kind of hell-bent on not letting this movie get released. Uh, and I really right. think that the producer should have listened because this movie does really nothing with its star cast. It does nothing with its premise. And right. um, ends up being, like five different movies at once only of which like one is interesting but and and the other four they don't even bother to complete there's so many things left hanging that it's just so all right so i'm gonna say one nice thing about this movie because i feel like i'm shit all over it so um the 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 hot water bottle scene really works um the kind of flirtation that she is very uncomfortable with because it's not really a flirtation because it's like between two men and she's not sure what's going on that scene between them like you see wow these two have electric chemistry together and it really works and it actually reminded me of course in you know queers the narrative a little bit but it reminded me of it happened one night which came out one year prior to this right where there is there's a sequence where clark cable is like slowly undressing himself uh, and kind of teasing and taunting her. And that's essentially what's going on here. And I could see audiences maybe in 1934, 1935 being a little uncomfortable with this because it's like, oh, he's dressed as a man and there's still this like chemistry that's just kind of crackling all all through the sequence. But I'm like, 
this. This is the movie that you should have made. Right. These are your leads. Yeah, not only, you know, oh, cast Cary Grant as this other romantic lead, like, as you mentioned, you don't even need that guy in this movie at all. He serves no purpose. So have Cary Grant, who at the beginning is kind of like standoffish and like, I'm going to do my own thing, blah, 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 and have them fall for one another. It clearly needs to happen. Like, it's so, like, watching this movie, you can see where they could have taken a different path. And yeah. this not only could have been better than it was, like this could have been great yeah. like with these two like so early in their career oh my goodness like you can feel it and it's so rare that two actors who either are big stars or are going to big stars like you can see the chemistry they have like not to like denigrate anything but it feels a little bit like when uh uh what's when emma stone and ryan gosling you know, started to do movies together, you're like, oh, I can see it. These two really pop together. Right. <laughs> and they both have their own, they ha- both have their own star trajectory. And it's the same thing here. And the fact that it was so wasted, thank God they were in more movies together. Because yeah, yeah. imagine if this movie got released and it got panned, which it did. And then they're like, oh, I guess Hepburn and Grant don't work together. And then we don't have these like four or five just amazing, yeah. amazing movies. And it could have gone that way because studios tended to like cut their losses pretty quickly. Like, oh, these two clearly don't work together. The audience didn't like them. Let's move on, you know. But thank God that didn't happen. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just picturing like La La Land, where like, I'm like halfway through the movie, Emma Stone meets some like random non movie star <laughs> right. guy, and he's the lead at the end. Like, it just it makes no sense to me at all. It really doesn't, right. and I agree with a hundred percent. And it makes even saying. less sense for the time because the yeah. time was so focused on star power, yeah, much right. more so than it is now. So it like I cannot believe this movie exists as, as it does. Like I, I would I want to like if I could be a fly on the wall, get a time <laughs> machine, and go back. I want to see the making of this movie because like it's amazing that you could make so many wrong decisions with so many great and smart people in charge. It's not as if it's some shitty director where you're like, okay, he messed up. I get it. Like it's George Cooker. Like the man is like, you know, for good reason, thought very highly of in cinema circles. He made a lot of classics and this, it has all of the things that could be a classic. And they just like, just bubbled around and fucked it up for two hours. And I was like, Oh man, why am I? God, God damn this podcast! Why am I watching this? <laughs> this is the first. I think the first movie for this podcast where I've just been like, Ugh, <laughs> I do not want to be watching. I mean, this. granted, we the 2010s were a really great period, so we had a lot of great movies there. Um, but I totally agree. This is one of the worst ones, and I think honestly, if we as we continue, I don't see something really this bad. Yeah, um, just yeah. because like. I think in any movie, any bad movie, we can sort of sort of see the thought process there. We can see the, you know, like the mistakes that were just like mistakes of execution, not concept. But here, it's like I cannot, I cannot even under like I, I cannot even picture like Cary Grant on set. And then, then be like, okay, thanks, Cary. Like your time is done. Now we're gonna bring in someone else. Like. What does that conversation even look like, David? Like what? <laughs> like when they're doing the script like, read at the like the table read, like does Cary Grant just like sit there quietly while this other guy starts doing and also, all the like, lines? I guess I'm gonna keep being that guy throughout this whole decade, but that guy's not even that hot. No. Like, what are we? Like, what are we doing? It's like you know, scrub brush hair and like he kind ugh. of looks like, a like Laura Farquaad from the Shrek movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's a little taller. A little but taller. That, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, I think we've covered now 17 movies on this podcast, and this is the first one I was like, ugh. Most of them have been really good, and some of them have been really nice surprises. So yeah. I think we're about due. If we can average like one bad movie every 20, that's pretty good. I'm okay yeah. with that. All right. So what do you if if anything, what have you learned from Sylvia Scarlet? Um I guess just that even like you know, I'm someone where I'm like if I like a filmmaker, if I like an actor, if I like an actress, I can always extend that goodwill and you know, like I can justify anything. You know, you've seen that with my, you know, love for M. Night and love for Amadovar. You know, like, whatever these guys do, I can at least, like, see what they were doing and just, like, understand sort of their thought process, right? Right. Like, you know, like, I, I love these guys. I read about them. I study them. I write about them. But, like, with this movie, George Kukor, who, like, I'm not some George Kukor stan. I mean, I love the guy. But, like, it's not like I've seen every movie of his. But, like... I literally cannot, like, I, I mean, I, I know I keep saying this, but, like, I really cannot fathom the decisions that this movie makes. Right. And I, there's just, I guess there's a limit to me being able to justify my favorite director's, like, bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know, Glass didn't break me, but Sylvia Scarlet did. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I would like, sooner watch Glass again than watch this, and you know my feelings yeah. on Glass. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a rough one. I think, I think for me, I mean, other than it sucks, that can't be the lesson I take from this because it's got to be a little bit more than that. Is that for me? Um, I guess, like in terms of like a queer movie standing up, standing the test of time, it's got to have more than just a gag and that's what the the drag in this feels like it feels like a gag it feels like it's kind of designed to shock designed to like do something like that and i just was like i don't feel there has to be a reason for the queerness there has to be something behind it and this just feels like well we got a good makeup designer and she looks really good in pants so we're gonna we're gonna do this and i'm like i just i need a little bit more than i get in sylvia scarlet so that's i I do want to ask you something do you think some of that well okay i didn't okay how do i say this like (laughs) I guess back then, like, women wearing men's clothes was more shocking than it is now. Because, like, I'm seeing her in, like, pants, and I'm like, yeah, so? Right, right. Like, because, I mean, I I know there are, like, drag queens around. Like, I know there are, like, women, whether, you know, however they identify, you know, in the queer umbrella, like... I know that's like an act that some women do, but I guess the reason why we don't hear about it is just because like it, there's no subversion there. Yeah, it's just fashion um, now. It's not a. It's just fashion now, thanks to you know, um, who's our like always in wearing suits in our like Diane Keaton or yeah, even someone like nowadays, right? Like I know there's one. But Tess, Tessa Thompson with, does that. A yeah, lot. like yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like who cares, right? Whereas like you know, a man wearing a dress is still like something that like either gets like shocks or giggles whatever right right so like i guess a lot of my hesitation here is that like i'm really struggling with seeing 
Catherine Hepburn doing this as any kind of subversive subversive thing. I mean, it's a Catherine like even beyond like my like the modern lens of you know women wearing men's clothes not being a big deal. It means Catherine Hepburn like she's always wearing pants. So right. like. Right. I don't even know why she even had to change her name. Right. Yes. I think the only subversive thing in the movie is having the mustache drawn on and being kissed by a woman while she's in drag. That's the subversive moment, yeah. I think. And, but and like, it, you know what? Um, Marlene Dietrich yeah. did it first. So Agreed. Absolutely. All right. I, I did not think that like the first time Catherine Hepburn showed up on this podcast, it would be us talking a bunch of shit. But here we are. You just you, you never know what you're going to get uh, with, with these brand new watches. <laughs> so uh, as far as the Russo test. So does this movie contain a character that is identifiably lesbian, gay, bisexual or trans? You know, I think I, I think she has some like non-binary elements to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I could see that. For sure. I wouldn't go far as saying trans, but I think... Um, Especially because she stays I, in drag maybe longer than she needs to. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like just a costume anymore. It feels like I'm identifying with this. Yeah, I think she's even more comfortable, you know. But I think she's definitely, like, there's some gender queerness in there. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with That's that. That's, like, identifiable, yeah. Yeah. And then the character must not be solely or predominantly defined by their orientation or gender identity. Uh, and I don't think she's uh, – I, I think she satisfies this. I don't think she's defined by her sexual orientation. I mean, I wish she was in a better movie, but, like, she's – you know. You know what? This might be the one that I struggle with in, mm. with this movie. Because I kind of feel like the – maybe it's just, like, the – it's kind of just like the only gag of this movie is that, like – She's, she's a, she pretends to be a boy. Like, what can you really tell me about her besides the fact that, like, she is dressing as a boy? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to be funny here. Like, No, that's true. I really feel like this movie... I mean, like, we can talk about this with the, with the next part of the test, but, like, what does that really serve her as a character beyond, you know, we just have to, like, shock people, you know, so that we can have the yeah. scene where she gets called a freak 12 times... Right, right. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think the only the only thing we know about her character other than this dressing and drag is that she cares about her dad. I guess like that's that's it. Oh, uh, so yeah, I mean that's really relatable to queer people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh yeah, so that's a, that's a I think you bring up a good point. Like I immediately kind of said like that she satisfies that, but maybe not. Because uh, I think she satisfies it because it's Catherine Hepburn and she's just an inherently compelling actress, so she brings a lot right to it. But does the character? But, yeah, mm. I think I don't know. I'm willing to give it a pass just because. I mean, I think Catherine Hepburn does a lot for it, so yeah. I think we're reading a lot into it. So <laughs> sure, I can give it a pass, but I think it's. I don't know. It'll keep me up at night, giving this a pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. Uh, And the third is the LGBTQ character must be tied into the plot into such a way that the removal would have a significant effect. And, I mean, the movie's named after her, so I think... (laughs) So I think this passes by, like, the the slimmest of margins. Like, just 
just barely. Like, I think this passes yeah, the Russo yeah. test. But again, just like uh, the Bechtel test, it doesn't make it a good movie just because it passes the test. Like, I think it passes right, the test, right. but it's still... This is the first one, I think, that we've covered where I'm like, I can't I can't think of anyone I would recommend this to unless you, like, just really love Catherine Hepburn or Cary Grant and want to watch everything that they've been in. That's, like, the only... The only yeah, excuse for yeah. that. But, I mean, I would say their next... I, I believe their next two movies, you know, Bringing Up Baby and Holiday, I think it does more for queerness than this movie does. Yeah. Even with none of the, like, um, yeah, Bringing Up Baby challenges gender roles in the same way that, you know, Ladies They Talk About does. Mm-hmm. Um, and Holiday is all about nonconformity and, you know, safe spaces and, you know, building your own kind of community. Yeah. And sort of rebuking heteronormativity. So I think that, like, those two movies do much more interesting things with, you know, challenging the patriarchy than this one does, even though this one is more explicitly queer. Yeah. So what you're saying is, like, don't, don't, just love yourself. Watch a good Hepburn and Grant yeah, movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, I think you can get the same, the same, honestly, get the same story from Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. But the same themes, you know, I think it's, I mean, I granted I just watched that. So it's, I'm kind of like, you know, on holiday with holiday. <laughs> but um, I think that, uh, yes, I do hate myself for saying that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I really do think that like, th- yeah, for a pair that does a lot to challenge norms, like Sylvia Scarlet is not the place to go for that, even though you would think that it does. Yeah, totally agree. All right, um, so that is it for 1935. In our next episode for 1936, uh, we're going to go back to the spooky, I guess. Uh, we're going to watch Dracula's Daughter. So I think, you know, anytime there's vampires, there's there's room for queerness. I mean, let's let's be real. So that is what we're going to cover next time. Uh, so, but until then, uh, why don't you tell people how they can find you online? You can find me on Twitter at TheManish89, um, and also my other podcast, It Pod to Be You, which you can find at It Pod to Be You. And uh, uh, both David and I work with Talk Film Society, so you can follow um, that site at Talk Film SOC. How about you, David? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Darn That Dave. I also have another podcast where we talk about uh, the greatest directors. In some way, someday maybe we'll be we'll do George Cukor. Um, so you can follow that at Directed by Pod. But most importantly, you should follow our pod, our podcast Queer Now if you aren't yet. Um, and that is at Queer and Now Pod. Come on and-